Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Hey, Boiling Pointers. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Before we start, Dave and I want to let you know all about our Boiling Point process, online courses, live events, and masterminds. After interviewing hundreds of leaders, we've packaged a ton of knowledge together to serve up to you. Info that will help you and your company be heard in a very noisy marketplace. So visit www.boilingpointprocess.com and sign up for the email newsletter and we'll let you know when our next cohort or event is. Thanks also for supporting The Boiling Point by subscribing to us on iTunes and also leaving a rating for us. So Dave, in classic Hemming style, you know how sometimes when you and I are together in a live uh, environment uh, and I might just point at somebody in the audience and say, hey, so-and-so, uh, what's your thoughts on this? Like, there's, there's no prep. Like, I just... It's, it's I, I, like, I pull people into things without... There's a flow, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. But, you it's know, good. in most cases, it's because there's brilliance that needs to be shared, and if those people don't want to share it, then they're being selfish. So, uh, <coughs> just, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm being very brutal. Today, I had a lovely lunch with uh, an amazing human being who's incredibly inspiring, and right at the end of the lunch, I was like, listen, I can't stick around. I got to go hang out with Dave at the uh, Boiling Point podcast booth. Uh, to which she responded, what is the Boiling Point podcast? And I said, well, you'll find out in an hour because you're going to be on it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So Emily Rogers is in the uh, podcast booth. And because it was literally from the restaurant from East Coast Bistro to here, Dave, I haven't had a chance to even brief you. No, you purposely haven't. Well, it's not like we've had a lot of time. No, that's true. That's true. Uh, So welcome to our humble little uh, podcast, Emily. Thank you. This is called the Boiling Point podcast. Dave. Uh, because she doesn't, she's one of only a few people in North America who hasn't been listening oh, I know. loyally. Why don't you explain it. what the boiling point is? <laughs> well, we just we've been doing this for five years. We figure we have a weekly uh, interview uh, that we release, and we just are, it's part of just amplifying very cool stories. And we get to meet people, and selfishly, we get to hang out, which we enjoy doing, and we get to meet all these really interesting guests from all from from really all over the world. You know, we've we've been interviewing, you know, and we don't have a lot of guests that come and sit down with us. So, and we've got a loyal following, and we've had um, some accolades, and to our big surprise, probably after the second year, we went, wow, people are actually listening to this, you know, everyone except Emily. <laughs> and... <laughs> And so we, and because we're having fun, and then and we've built uh, some courses, and we've got some online um, live events happening. There's one coming up in November first in Moncton. Um, so, so that's kind of how I would describe it. Um, but there's a real free flow to it. Uh, we don't have a lot of structure, as you're aware. I'm very you're, aware. You're, you're picking yep. that up, and um, and then often, and this used to happen a lot more often. Actually, um, we would have guests where we would like. Right now, I'm totally blind. I don't know. I, I know. <laughs> I know who you are. I've met your. You know, you're from Hammond River. You just shared that with me. No, Posi- I'm not even. 
Oh, you're not from No, Vancouver? Hampton. Or Hampton, sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm, Jeez, I'm come on, Dave. That's I'm, seven kilometers away. Yeah, we need to back this Jeez. interview up here. <laughs> the facts are already wrong. <laughs> That's why I don't give any facts. I right, stay away from facts. I'm okay. the bus. <laughs> so so you're, from, you're from Hampton, sorry, not Hammond River. I'm wearing a Ham, Hammond River shirt. That's right. Which is, which is screwing me up. Um, but we would often. Be st- start interviewing someone and we go I don't know anything about this person and you know and then we would show each other in the bus and, you know, so, so I have so I'm just really excited yeah. to, to just be part of this well welcome journey. to you as well Dave I, yeah. I love it when I connect lovely human beings together Emily why don't, why don't we start with you why don't you give a, an introduction and let Dave know a little bit about you and uh, but then let's jump right into your story because uh, you and I are talking about doing some film work together mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of common interests in, uh, in your mission and uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of interesting things going on, but really, your ability to be vulnerable and truthful about what you've gone through over the last uh, decade mm-hmm. in the highs and the lows uh, has been really uh, attractive to me as a storyteller. So, uh, yeah, let's do this for sure. So, yeah, my name is Emily Roger. So, I um, I guess originally would be from Hampton. I have lived in Fredericton for the last thirty years. I worked in the dental fields, was a dental hygienist for 10 years, and then I found a bicycle at the age of 28 and uh, immediately hopped into competitive sports, coming from no background really in sports at all, other than intramural stuff as a kid. Mm -hmm. So a friend of mine bought a bike, was riding. A friend of mine was down. Um, We were in Arizona and she suggested I try a triathlon. So I thought, sure, tell me what it is. Tell me what the distances are. I'll go. I'll do it. So the next weekend I go and I sign up for a triathlon (laughs) and do it. The next week you did. (laughs) Yeah. And um, did really well at it and ended up on the podium and she won, um, she won Dave. her first her first triathlon just, she won yeah won the won my age group and it was just kind of a thing of okay well I go out there I push myself as hard as I can and I always just chase down the person in front of me and then at the end it, they call my name that I yeah won my age category and I was like oh wow okay sure are you sure like do you want to check race results again yeah. kind of thing because yeah. I'm just here for fun yeah. so. <laughs> Anyways, that just immediately got me into pursuing triathlon and um, qualified for world championships for 70.3 half Ironman within my first year. I was working with a coach and I had said to him right at the beginning, that's my goal for this year, which was a little far-fetched, but... So so, so the goal story was what? Was to qualify for half Ironman yeah. world championships. Okay. So uh-huh. I checked that off the list yeah. and right before I was supposed to go to Austria to compete, um, I was racing actually in St. Andrews at a uh, triathlon and injured my foot so I wasn't able to run. So I didn't get to compete that, but I was still able to ride my bike. So I started racing, road racing. Did my first race on that and did really well. Actually, I should back this whole story up because yeah. I got hit by a car. Yeah, I, 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 thought you were, I thought you didn't even get, I thought we weren't even there yet. No, we're way past that. Okay, go back. To the, go we back. definitely don't have a dialogue yeah. or, or a script. <laughs> so yeah, actually, right after I started racing, I was on a training ride in Arizona on my bike and an 83-year-old woman ran a stop sign and um, hit me. And so I... Pretty uh, 
severely injured and airlifted to a trauma hospital um, with multiple injuries, a lot of um, facial injuries, broke a lot of bones, lost teeth, brain injury. Um, really? So yeah, so oh that gosh. is that's about a year that I just year, skipped yeah. through and on the... Re- that was just like... <laughs> You decided to go into competitive sports maybe mm-hmm. a year after your first try? Is I that... think that was about six m- No, back this whole story up. This was even before I actually raced. And so six months after the race was going to be the, um, like it would have been the six month anniversary actually of my crash when this girl was okay. like, we should do this triathlon. And yeah. I was like, sure, yeah. I, and I still, I was not... Uh, not fully recovered by any means, but yeah, I um, jumped in and and did that race. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I, I just like all these everything just blurs together throughout the years. So, I had a uh, even though I got back on my bike and um, started racing, I yeah, I used the bike and I used racing as a now I see it as a unhealthy coping mechanism for overcoming a lot of the physical trauma or um, mental and emotional trauma that I had. Yeah. Sustained unhealthy during that. I think so. Yeah. Cause I am, I, I just, I dismissed the, what I now know is PTSD. Um, and from previous, from that bike crash, from the bike. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah. I just used the bike and used sport as a lot, as a way of just t- convincing myself that I had overcome everything when really there was a lot of deeper rooted stuff and deeper rooted fear, um, and trauma and stuff that I had not yet overcome. So yeah, fast forwarding that, that took about two years for me to really kind of own up that I was suffering from that. And it took, you know, my family being honest with me and my mom being honest with me, um, who she's a therapist and saying, Emily, like, you really need to work on this. Like, what were they noticing? Like, what was, what would come up for them or they would recognize? Um, Is it going, are we going too deep here? (laughs) No, it's, um, I think there was definitely some personality changes. I mean, from the head injury that I had, there were personality changes. Um, A lot of the things I just didn't want to talk about, a lot of things I didn't want to deal with, Um, just dismissing a lot of things. And so, yeah, my family, who knows me very well, were able to see that. Um, As far as personality changes, things that I experienced were, you know, a lot of the typical stuff that goes along with traumatic brain injuries, I mean, anything from memory loss to agitation to feeling depressed to Mm. all of those just like Mm. mood swings kind of stuff that was not really who I was. So, yeah, sometimes it takes a family member to point that out. And um, then me sitting down and being brutally honest with myself and admitting that, yeah, I'm not entirely okay here and I do need to go and... um, work on this and address this. And so I did. And even from the very beginning, right after that accident, I started working with a counselor because I knew what I had sustained was extremely traumatic um, and started to work through stuff. But then I kind of thought, okay, I'm done. I'm good. I'm back on my bike. I'm back to racing. So everything's okay again. And, you know, it wasn't. So yeah, so the unhealthy relationship with the bike, let's say, or with sport was that I was using that kind of as a band-aid in some ways just a part of it Mm. to make me feel like I was better and I was fully healed when I wasn't so yeah that happened and then once I started racing 
just road riding, I, within my first year of racing or shortly after, I won um, Canadian Masters Nationals um, in the time trial and got second in the road race. And then with that, qualified to go and race world championships for the UCI Grand Fondo in Australia. And at first I said no, because I did not think that I deserved to be there. I didn't think that I was good enough. I was new to the sport. And then eventually I decided to give it a go. And so my training was all focused just on that and um, went over there and I won that. Um, (laughs) And then that next season, I started racing at the um, professional level in road racing. Hmm. So was full time, just racing my bike, just training. And uh, the following year, got to go back and compete again at UCI Grand Fondo World Championships in France and won the road race there. And uh, actually had a bike malfunction during the time trial and got third place, which I was still super happy about because, you know, anything can happen during a race. And I had no gears and still managed to pull off third. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of grit went into that one. And then the following week, I was actually racing at a stage race in France and um, got hit by a car again during a race. So suffered Injuries during that was 10 days in a hospital bed in France, um, finally came back to Canada, got some treatment here, and within probably four months was back to racing at the professional level and raced that season. And, um, you know, kind of halfway through the season, I remember one race in particular, I just thought my mind and the drive that I used to have is just not here anymore. Um and I knew right then and there that I had to take a step back from it. And so I did. And throughout the last three years, I actually started fly fishing. And I kind of picked that up while I was up in Sedona one day. I've lived in Arizona part time for the last seven years um, for training and racing. And I was up in Sedona. I would go up there to just kind of clear my mind from the training and the adrenaline and all of the stress that I (laughs) would put on myself and uh, kind of became obsessed with spotting out brown trout. So I got the idea that I would try fly fishing because I thought back to when I was a childhood and what are some of my happiest memories. And it was actually when I was in Hampton, probably four or five years old, and I would go and try and find brook trout in the uh, in the stream. So I started fly fishing, which immediately became such a therapeutic thing for me. And so then I would try and tie fly fishing and with cycling trips and all that kind of stuff. And there were times that I'd be on my bike and thinking about fish and where my coach was probably like, Emily, why are you why are you so tired today? What did you do yesterday for your recovery day when meanwhile, I had waded 13 miles of river. (laughs) And so yeah, having time to take a step back from the bike really opened more time and more opportunities for me to explore fly fishing, which has been incredible and has brought me to places all over the world now to fish from Belize to Argentina to Chile to Italy. Gosh, I can't even think of where else. But yeah, lots of places. So is that my my story, Greg? I don't even know. So actually (laughs) explain this to us on the phone a few weeks ago, just in general terms of saying there may, maybe there's a way we could share stories together. Um, I was like, that's an epic story that, you know, like, and getting hit twice, like how derailing hmm. that is, but still continuing to drive to get back up. And today at lunch, we're talking about that primary addiction to conquering and mm-hmm. winning all the time Yeah, that it's good for a season. Probably it's yeah. exciting for a season, but you were finding yourself 
relying on that uh, that that drive to conquer everything absolutely and maybe losing other parts which fly fishing has been able to bring you back and to me that's a beautiful story and i we, we're looking at a tv series and a documentary it's all these things that we are kind of bubbling up in our so in the how did you here. how did you both meet like how did what was the connection we met through i was having um coffee with a friend of mine rebecca in um fredericton okay, right. and she <laughs> was like, you need to contact Greg yeah. at Hemming's house. Got it. Um, so yeah, and I think touching on what Greg just said about conquering stuff, what I really realized, and I actually just got back from a trip from Alberta. I was fly fishing there, and then I spent a week on horseback through the Rocky Mountains, yeah. um, backcountry camping. And one of the things that I really realized and just totally clicked to me is that I have been spending the better part of my life just trying to conquer life, always setting goals, trying to achieve them, I would achieve them, but never be satisfied, like nothing was ever enough. And just feeling like, yeah, life was just something that had to be conquered instead of now it's, life is just something that's meant to be enjoyed and adored. And I don't always have to be fighting for that next thing because so often you get that thing and then you're disappointed by it or you just want more and more and more. And, you know, I say that, but yeah, when I'm out fly fishing, of course I want to conquer that biggest fish. Like, don't get me wrong. But, and even on my bike, I can now just be on it and enjoy it. Still keep a, some of that competitive side that is just in me. It's in my nature. Right. Um, but that is where that healthy relationship with the bike and other things that I do um, now comes in. Well, I wonder how many of us, you know, in society kind of feels like there's things that they, you know, you want to accomplish. And all of a sudden when you accomplish it in your mind, everything's going to be different. Mm. And, and I remember being, um, in high school and, uh, Daryl Sittler, who's a hockey player came and spoke to our group and he, he had won the Stanley cup and he talked about, you know, thinking that how different life would be when he reached the Stanley cup, which would be you know, probably a childhood dream. And, you know, he, and not many people get that opportunity and how there was an empty feeling once he got there because, you know, it wasn't what he anticipated. And, you know, I think that's what I'm hearing in your description. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but I wonder what's your thinking, Emily, around the value of, of achieving to get to a place where you realize maybe I need to enjoy the journey more than just the result. Yeah, absolutely. And I have always said to myself through training that even though I was always very focused on results and even looking back at racing, I didn't love racing. I loved training. Oh, I loved yeah. being out there every day on my own, pushing myself. Some of my hardest efforts were actually when I was out solo on my bike. Um, and I think that that is why I was able to do well in the sport was because I really did truly love it. Mm. Um, and that that's what you need to have. If you don't love what you're out there doing every day, of course you're never going to be satisfied with what the outcome is. Even, yeah, with how quickly things can change and how quickly things can be taken from you. And I look back at when I won world championships in France two years ago. I went from winning a race, being at an all-time high to one week later, unable to race my bike and laying in a hospital bed in France mm. all by myself, mm. you know? And it's just such an eye-opening experience of, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. Like that bike cannot be my entire life because yeah, things can be taken from you. And when that is taken from you, who are you? Mm -hmm. And what mm -hmm. do you have? And we talked about that too, about, uh, you know, fly fishing is your thing right now, it's your chapter, but you're not 
that's not your identity. Mm-mm. You you cycle, you fly yep. fish, you do you hike, you go horseback riding. Yeah. So I think that's a really healthy takeaway. Actually, is the because uh, sometimes I'll slip and do it. I'm a filmmaker or I'm an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. When you say I am a or you are a, that's you've you've boxed that in and. Some of us will listen to that and say, no, that's that's all I'm good at. But once yeah. that thing is gone, like you say, are you prepared for, Yeah, you know, and it's just a mental thing. You know, it's like you, we can all do many different things, but how do we identify it with mm-hmm. ourselves? And and uh, that's why I think your story is so is so interesting, especially for our entrepreneur listening audience. Yeah. You know, this yours is a sport, but this is a very similar thing for people who have built businesses. And that was their full identity was in that. And then yeah. something happens and they're they're looking for a job or have to go work for government or something. And it can be very difficult on certain Mm -hmm. people, right? Being able to do well at those things too. I'm not just a good cyclist. I'm not just a good fly fisherman. I'm an angler. I'm not, it's the skill sets that I have that can be applied to anything. You know, how much Mm -hmm. of yourself do you want to give? Are you a hundred percent committed to whatever task you are doing in that moment? And for people, yeah, who are entrepreneurs or who maybe lose their business or whatever else, well, you built that up in the past. So of course you can build it again. It might not seem the way that you thought it would be, but that's okay. It's sometimes exciting when things, you know, when, when chapters close and then you can apply all those things that you learn to something new and right. bigger that you ever thought right. of. Yeah. It's almost like that letting go of, um, uh, or attachment to an outcome, you know, and, you, and sometimes you can push so hard to that and then you kind of realize I'm not happy. And mm-hmm. this, isn't, this isn't fulfilling. Yeah. Um, so you're, so you're thinking of collaborating. I, I, I think there's no other uh, option. <laughs> I, I'm singularly focused. I've got a goal. No, we. I mean, it's uh, these are the type of stories that Hemingway loves yeah. to tell. You yeah, know, yeah, and if yeah. we could, you know, it's pitching a TV show is difficult, and it's uh, it's like a, a, a road race, and when you win them, it feels so, really good, right? Yeah. So, but this is this feels like a relatable at this time day day and age. It's yeah. a relatable story, you know. So I got a question for Emily. What is it like when you hear, you know, and Greg's told many, many, many stories over the years. He hears your story and says, there's something here. We got to, we, we want to amplify the story. What is that? What's that feel? So when you guys you? had your last guest on this podcast and I was out there listening at the end and Greg started talking about who the next guest was and I did not realize it was me and he was talking this person up and I was jokingly about to say, I'm here. Well, <laughs> yeah, it turns out it is me. <laughs> and I didn't know she was sitting there. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you remember what I said? I said, oh my gosh, she's the most amazing guest. Dave, you're going to love her. Well, that's all that's all true I, I, oh I yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely well i mean you know but is it like like because that's you know that's it's your story yeah it's your journey no for sure and even even i mean me just telling my story right there it's like oh wow yeah that happened right. or this happened right. or and i'm sure there are so i mean i could have spent a week talking about everything that had happened but it's exciting what you can overcome yeah yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you've got a really great message to share with the world, and I think you're starting to figure out that it's time to share. Absolutely. And bring other people into your into what's been healing for you, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's taking people fly fishing or horseback riding or whatever it is, yeah. you know, uh, to remind people that 
there is a uh, there's a path. <laughs> mm-hmm. and you've been going down one, and that you want to share it with others. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to imagine like what the feeling would have been like the you know so getting through a first car accident would mm-hmm. have been pretty traumatic, as you pointed out, and then you find yourself there again. Like I just I'm just imagining what the first couple of days of that would have been like in terms of mentally, you know, thinking. Because there's so many places your brain, your mind could go, yeah. right? Why yeah. me? How could, you know, what's like, how, it's like lightning hitting twice. Oh, I was going to say lightning. Yeah. It's like lightning. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, you know, just the situation that had happened in that I was in a foreign country. I was in a hospital that only spoke French. I do not speak French. I had nobody there with me. I had nobody there um, really checking in on me, unfortunately, other than family here. And, you know, during that time, during those first five days, um, especially where I was in the most pain I have ever been in before in my life. And we couldn't get, they couldn't get pain meds under control. They couldn't do anything. So I was just basically without anything. And, um, you know, yeah, I really just laid there thinking for sure, like, how did this, how could this have happened again? And just knowing that I would be okay. And I was going to get through it. Yeah. Where did that come from? That faith. I think getting through so much other stuff in my life. Yeah. Always, uh, you know, really learning that life is full of trials and tribulations and you're either in one or you're about to go through one or you've just overcome one. And, uh, you know, I've really just learned that that is the way that it is. And so when you're in that process to just kind of hunker down and know that eventually it's going to go away and that you will be okay and that there are better days ahead. Mm. Um, And luckily I had, you know, through going through therapy and having such supportive parents and sisters and family and friends, yeah, just having that support meant everything, Mm -hmm. knowing that there was, you know, people rooting for me to get through things. But also looking back, being there by myself was kind of good in a way because it really made me focus on me and it made me again just be honest with myself of what are you actually feeling sometimes when you have so many people around you during a time like that they say you're going to be okay you're going to be okay everything's fine like all that kind of stuff and it's like well yeah I know eventually I'm going to be okay but right now I'm not okay (laughs) you know Um, and that was actually one of the things that I struggled with the most during that first accident was that I had so much facial damage done, broken bones, lost teeth. I mean, my face was a complete mess. And that is the injuries that people saw. But the most severe injury was the head injury that I had experienced. And, you know, people would just look at me and think, oh, my gosh, your face. Mm. And, you know, you're going to get fixed. Don't worry. (laughs) But but, then... It made me just kind of not even be aware anymore as to mentally what I was going through. And so then I said to myself, okay, no, I am fine. Yeah. Okay. This brain injury here, this isn't here. This is fine. Like all I need to focus on is just my face and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that was a struggle. So I think that having that time by myself there for the first five days, and then I had someone um, fly over and be with me, but yeah, it was good. You know, Hmm. (laughs) as good as uh, something like that can be, I guess. (laughs) Well, I'm just so uh, pleased that uh, you've reached out to us at Hemings House to just uh, connect and see what the opportunities are. Mm -hmm. It's going to be awesome. And uh, this is a part of our podcast. Our podcasts are so short, unfortunately. But this is where we do our takeaways. 
These are the Boiling Point Takeaways. Dave. So thank you, Emily, for sharing your story. I, I, I think it's very brave to share a story, you know, like, um, and I, when you started telling it, you were anxious. This and is it, actually the first time that I have shared this. Okay. Yeah. Oh, is that interesting? Because like, oh. I, could, I, could, I could see it and, mm-hmm. I could, uh, and I, we could, <laughs> you could hear it. But it was interesting, as, as you told your story, you calmed down. And it was, it was kind of, and, and as, and, and to go to those places takes a lot of courage. So mm-hmm. I admire that. And I feel, I just, it seems to me that it's just a reminder that everyone's got brilliant stories, right? And we, yes. we don't, we don't slow down enough to listen to some of the stories. So, mm-hmm. and you're living your, you know, and, and, and it's sometimes a surprise to think, oh yeah, I get, people have so much to learn from my experience. But I, but a big thing is perseverance, you know, imagining, I would hope that I would have, and I don't know, I guess you'd have to go there to enough stamina to go through not only one, but two traumatic experiences. And, and I'm sure, you know, and life is full of many more, but, but the, but the approach, I think it's a really healthy way to, to have, go through uh, something and, and look at it as a gift. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I was taking. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. I, I think I heard. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. So that's yeah. where that's where I uh, that's my takeaway. I'd say uh, well, very similar. Uh, the the other part that I think is really cool is when we as humans go through something so dark, and all we want to do is share the solution with others. You know, and that's just a, a human thing. You know, I I think that's really cool. Like, and when you're talking about how many people have stories but don't know how to tell them, well, I think a lot of us don't even think we have stories right yes and i would have been i would have been that person that's uh, yeah even when you first asked me i, I came into this interview not knowing what well, we I were know. talking I had about loved at you all earlier, so you're coming on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> we could have been talking about algebra which would have been <laughs> very entertaining so i know nothing about that well this is um, <laughs> this is step one for sharing that story but like you your heart is already what you've been telling me is you want to you want yes. other people to have these healing experiences yes. through fishing and all this so we're, we got to have you back on the podcast uh, a few months down the road at, for another check-in, which would be good. And by then, you, you'll listen to all uh, 300 episodes I've by then. I've got a lot of catching up <laughs> to you do. Should. But fly fishing, you put them in headphones. <laughs> yeah, now, that, that I, might break the peace. That now, might Dawn on the other side of the door, he's got a takeaway as well, which is uh, her, her love for training made winning easy. I think that's a really mm. good one, actually, like like relating that to life. You know, yes. like if, you, if you're not in love with that, the practice of yep. the thing that you're doing, it's probably harder, much harder to win, right? Yeah. Because your focus was on the training. Yeah. Even though the focus was on winning, of course, but like your love focus was mm-hmm. for training. So, so I know, and and this is, there may be no way, like given that the story is, um, you're just starting to share it. We always say, if people want to reach out and learn more from a guest, is there a way to do that? And Check out our Instagram, Dave. Okay, yeah. so oh I was going to say, it's amazing. Oh, really? Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, it's so cool. what's so Instagram? How do people... It is E. Roger, E-R-O-D-G-E-R. Thank you, because I call you Rogers. So yes, no S. Roger. <laughs> Roger. <laughs> That's good. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for Thanks, Emily. joining us on The Bowling thank Point. Thank you, yeah. the both of you. All right. Okay, and Dave, let's go... Uh, Let's go do something <laughs> amazing and, and we'll figure out what our story is and then tell it next week. <laughs> That's tough. That's tough. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. 
Thanks for listening, and remember, keep that pot boiling. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.